We're in part six of our series on Elijah. Uh, we're calling this message, The Day the Fire Fell. This is a really exciting story today. Now, just to review just a little bit, Ahab is king over Israel, which is the northern kingdom. And it's said about Ahab that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, we, we talked a little bit about that. What, what does that mean? He did evil in what, what particular evil are they talking about? Anybody know? Anybody remember? It's idolatry, right? It's the worship of other gods. That whenever you see that phrase in Scripture, that's what it's speaking of, that they are worshiping other gods. And it said that he did more evil than all those who came before him. So everything's getting progressively worse. It's getting progressively more immoral as, as the days go. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. He was provoking God. You ever had anybody provoke you? You know, maybe it's a, a little sister or a big brother or something that just, poke, just, 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 just make you mad, just provoke you. Well, Ahab was doing that to God. Are you serious? He was picking a fight he would never win, and he's provoking God to anger. He married Jezebel, who is a high priestess of Baal worship. She's a Phoenician. Uh, she has come into Israel. He has built her a temple in Samaria. Uh, there are high places and groves for Baal worship all throughout the northern kingdom. They, they are taking over. Now, just to, to glimpse back in chapter 16, just to talk to you about the way things were in the days of Ahab, it says in verse 34 of chapter 16, it says, in Ahab, in his days, hill of Bethel built Jericho. Now remember, Jer what's the story about Jericho? Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho how many times? Seven times on that, on that last day. Seven times he marched around the, and the walls, the walls came tumbling down. You know what I'm talking about? That's what they say. All right. So, so that's the Jericho is talking about. In those days, he rebuilt those walls of Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Sagub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, what does that mean? Okay, what, what in the world does that mean? Joshua 6.26 tells us that Joshua, after they conquered Jericho, he pronounced a curse, basically, over Jericho. And he said, Cursed be the one who rebuilds this city. He will pay the price with his son to build the walls, and he will pay the price with his other son to build the gates. So what you're seeing is this word of the Lord that was spoken of by Joshua, the city was never supposed to be rebuilt. You're seeing this happen. Now, what does that have to do with our study? That has to do with the climate and the atmosphere of what's going on in this land at this time. That there is either, there's, there's probably a lack of knowledge of God, but there's certainly a lack of respect now, if you knew God had spoken something negative about a place, uh, your, your inclination should be to pull back and, and to, 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 to shun away from that and not go that direction. But it's showing us that in the days of Ahab, the, the respect for God, the respect for his word and the disdain, it, the, the respect was at an all time low and the disdain for God and his word was at an all time high in Israel. That's what it's telling us. OK, you got that? You tracking with me? All right. So today we, we, we've been with with Elijah. We've been with him. In front of King Ahab, we've been with him at the brook. We've been with him at the widow's house. Today, we're going to Mount Carmel. Okay. Now, this is the most well-known story. And I, find, I found out that well-known stories are kind of hard to preach because we all have these ideas and these concepts of what they are. But, but I want you to listen real close as we tell this story, hopefully in a fresh way. This is, this is a dramatic story, 
And it's the most famous of all the Elijah stories. Now, what, what I would like to do, I'm going to talk over this video. She's going she's gonna to queue up a video for, for me uh, of just an aerial view of Mount Carmel. This is a real place. It's a real place. We, I've been there and hiked up that mountain and walked that ridge a little bit. So uh, I want you to see it. So when you read these, these stories, you've got these pictures in your mind, okay? Are right, we ready? All right, roll it. <laughs> All right, so now look, Mount Carmel. Now, this is, it's a mountain ridge. It's about 12 miles long. At its highest point, it's about 1,700 feet high at its highest point. Mount Carmel is known as God's vineyard. It's full of olive trees. It's full of fruit trees, flowers, and all kinds of, of beautiful vegetation. It's even got a gift shop on the top of it. I don't think that was there in Elijah's day, but it's there today. If you look right in the front of that mountainside, that's what, kind of where our trail went up, where we climbed that mountainside right there. Mount Carmel overlooks the Jezreel Valley. It's coming into view right here. You see an olive grove right down at the base of the mountain there. It overlooks the Jezreel Valley. Now, what is that? that that's the most fertile ground in Israel. It's considered the breadbasket of Israel. It's also known as the Valley of Megiddo, also known as Armageddon. Okay? Opposite from where you were just seeing right there on Mount Carmel, if you go across that Jezreel Valley, you've got Nazareth. Who, was, who, who lived in Nazareth? Who was raised in Nazareth? Jesus, he's known as Jesus of Nazareth. So it's interesting that Mount Carmel overlooks the Valley of Jezreel or the place of Armageddon. Jesus grew up overlooking, knowing about this cosmic battle that's going on and it will happen overlooking Armageddon. Isn't that interesting though? Just, just, just an idea. Now, did you see the olive grove down at the bottom? Now, just so you know, that, that hundreds and thousands of people were likely gathered in this moment that we're about to read about. They were cascading down that mountainside, hanging out in those olive groves and those fruit tree groves, those orchards right through there. They were hanging out, cascading down the mountain. We were in that olive grove when, when our teacher went up to that mountain, up to the peak, close to where that, that little shop was. He went to that place and he read this story out loud across that hillside. And the acoustics were phenomenal. So just so you know, the, the people were scattered all down there. Maybe some of them were eating olives while they were there, pulling them off the tree, eating the fruit, you know, all that kind of thing. Sitting there listening to Elijah, they could hear him. That's what I'm saying. You get the picture? All right, so now let's go to verse number 19. 1 Kings 18, it says this. Now therefore send and gather all Israel, this is Elijah speaking, gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, now the showdown's happening, speaking to the people, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you will call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. 
So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, what, what have they been going through for three and a half years now? What have they been going through? No rain, no dew, a complete drought, right? Isn't it interesting that before the water comes, before the rain comes, the fire's got to fall. You see that? They don't, need, they don't need fire, they need rain, but God knows that before the rain must come the fire. You see that? So Elijah addresses the nation of Israel here. So up to this point, we've seen him address the king. We've seen him address the leadership that is, that is hugely corrupt and, and, and negligent in this area. He addresses the leadership, but here he addresses the people. That's important. And he asked this question. How long will you falter between two opinions? Can you read that with me? How long will you falter between two opinions? If God is God, go with him. But if Baal is God, go with him. But all this going back and forth, that's the idea of the word falter, is, is like to waver. It's like to go back and forth or to be indecisive. You ever know anybody that's indecisive? I mean, I mean my, my wife and, and all the girls in, in our family are just absolutely brilliant girls, but you put a menu in front of them and it's over. You know what I'm talking about? They just, they fault, they, they go, but I mean, we, we pull up to Taco Bell and they say, what they got? I'm like, same thing they had the last 25 years. I've been going here, but that's okay. Anyway, order, see the picture on the window. Give me that picture on the window. That's what we want. We want three of them. Uh, you know, never mind. I'm sorry. I love y'all. <laughs> anybody have anybody like that in their life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, y'all scared. Some of y'all just scared. <laughs> so the idea, <laughs> the idea is that they're, they're faltering between these ideas and ideologies and these two religions. The worship of Yahweh, they're, they're, they're kind of dabbling in that a little bit, but they're also going towards the way of Baal. And they're going back and forth. Now, the, the word picture here of the word falter is, is to dance. It's like to dance, to dance. It, it, it's, it's the idea of like a person who can't decide between partners. And, and you know, they, they come over here and they, they dance over here a little bit with this one. It's got its own little song. We like this little tune over here, but this over here getting down. I'm going to go over here with this one every now and again. And I like going to dance over here with this one now. But what happens when those two songs collide and they're playing at the same time in the same head and you can't make up your mind. That's kind of what's going on in Israel. They're faltering between these two opinions. They're, 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 they're trying to dance with two partners. How does that work? It, not very good, right? Thank you, Anna. That's right. Israel was in a massive state of confusion. They were in, in, in a state of deception and delusion to think that they could have it both ways. And they're going back and forth. They're not fully committed to God. They're not really fully committed to Baal. They're, they're trying to do both. And the Bible calls this a divided heart. And nobody wants to be in covenant with anybody who's got a divided heart. That's a terrible thing to be in, the, in that kind of relationship. I mean, how, how many of you would, would, would buy this deal? Now, this, not, not, to, not to go too far with this, but listen. How many of you would go with this deal if, if, if you were getting married... And your spouse-to-be would say, well, you know, I, I'm going to be committed to you 11 months out of the year. But, you know, that, that, that last month, I like to go to New Orleans. And I like to just do my thing. 
And I just want that to be known right off the bat that, that you know, I'm going to be faithful to you for 11, 11 months. Or what if it was just, uh, what if it was 11 months and three weeks, but that one week? But what if it was just like, I'll do it for 364 days, but that one day I got to have my thing? Anybody go for that? No, no, no. There's no way nobody would go for that, you know? But that's what they're doing to God. That's the divided heart. It's significant that on Mount Carmel there are two altars. It's significant that of the ten words or the ten commandments that were given to Moses, one of the, one of the first two was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now when we think before, we think like no other gods before me in priority. Well, that could be that. But God is saying, this is my land, this is our land, this is the covenant that we've made together. I don't want you to bring any pictures of your old girlfriends or old gods. I don't want them in your wallet. I don't want them sitting on the counter. I don't want them by the sofa. I don't want them in your mind. I don't want you to bring any of those gods before me whatsoever. I'm a jealous God and I want you all to myself and I want to be yours and you be mine. That's how covenant's made, isn't it? That's what we hope for our marriages, right? There were two altars, but God would have none of it. He's either the one or he's done. He's that way in our life too now. What Israel was doing was mixing the waters. And anytime you mix the waters with just even a little bit of poison, it's all poisonous, isn't it? They're mixing the waters. The, 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 the mixture that, that always leads to death, they're, they're mixing the waters. Now, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Remember that? Where, where it says that, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, what did he say? I mean, you ever, you ever been on a hot day and you just grab a, a bottle of water that hadn't been sitting in the cooler and you just pick it up and you drink it and it's like... <laughs> I mean, you spit it on your dashboard. You know what I'm talking about? It's just nasty. God said, I would that you were hot and therapeutic and healing to the people or that you were cold and refreshing and, and helped quench their thirst. But instead, you're this lukewarm mess. And he said, I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, I think we feel that way about people on our jobs, people in our homes. You know, we, we want everybody to be all in all the time. God does too. That's what's going on. That's the problem. It's trying to dance with these two partners. And it never works. It never works. You, you know how to kill a man? Let his heart get full of Jesus and his belly still full of the world. It'll kill a man. It'll kill a marriage. You know what I'm talking about. So us today in our land... We're following these same footsteps. We're making the same mistakes in America today, aren't we? We're, we're, we're dabbling a little bit. We've got a little bit of Jesus going on, and we've got a little bit of this going on. We've got a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Bible, but a little bit of New Age we bring in with it. A little bit of other kind of religion that we bring in with it and try to synchronize, to syncretize them together. We've got a little bit of Jesus here and, and some secular humanism here. We've got a little bit of God's will we're praying over here and then a little bit of my will that I'm doing over here. And it, it never works that way. We've got a little bit of convictions over here that are strong and solid. And then we've got all this immorality over here. It never works that way. 
And I want to ask you for our country, how did we get here? There's actually an answer to that question. We think we just woke up in March and everything fell apart. But I'm going to tell you, this has been going on a long time. How did, we, how did ancient Israel get there? I mean, they went from the Exodus where God had, had rescued them out of Egypt. And they went from all the times of, of King David who had done great and marvelous things and reestablished the covenant and, and expanded the borders of Israel. How did they get to this place that 60 years after Solomon, 100 years after David, how did they get to the place that now they have literally lost the plot? They, they're off the chain. They're off the track. How did they get to that place? There's actually an answer. Just a little compromise at a time. A little bit here. A little bit there. A little bit. How, how do you get there personally? You, you ever been at the, the ocean and, and you're just kind of floating on a raft or something? You know, out in the ocean, that's kind of dangerous. You can end up in Cuba, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> you're just floating, floating on a raft and, 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 and may, maybe you just close your eyes from the sun beating on you and you just... You're kind of there, and, 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 and you kind of raise up five minutes later, and, you know, they done moved your hotel. Somebody done stole your lunchbox, and your umbrella ain't there no more. And then you get your bearings, and you're like, oh, I'm a half a mile away from that place. You ever done that before? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You get there a little bit of drift at a time, don't you? Now, I know we can have major blowouts. But it almost is never a major blowout. It's almost always a slow leak that leads to a flat tire. Now, granted, we all struggle to be 100%. We all struggle to be 100% sold out to God. That, that's, that's a real struggle of our hearts, but I hope that struggle is happening in you. It's a real struggle. But beloved, stop intentionally mixing the waters. It doesn't work. You know, this brackish water that mixes down here on the Gulf, it creates a whole different species. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus speaks to this idea in Luke 16, 13. It's on the screen right here. Will you read this with me? This is the words of our master. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money or, in this case, God and Baal or God and another God. It doesn't matter who it is. You name it whatever you want. It can be you. You can't serve God and yourself. Jesus speaks directly to that. Make your allegiance. And we're living in a day, beloved, where the battle lines are drawn and you are going to have to choose. You know, there's a lot of folks that, that you know, and, and some of it I understand, and some folks need to, need to stay home. But there's a lot of folks that are scared to come to church because they're sick. What are we going to do when they're scared they're going to kill us? When the persecution that the Bible talks about is really going to hit, it ain't going to be about getting sick. It's going to be about hiding behind an oak tree so we don't get seen. What are we going to do then? May God put a strength in us and, and something down in our backbone that causes us to be able to stand strong with our convictions and strong with our master. We're living in that day where the battle lines are drawn and you are going to have to choose whose team you're on. You know what I'm talking about? How long will you waver? How long will you falter between two opinions? How long are you going to keep this dance up? Because this tune sounds terrible. 
And you really ain't good at dancing like that. You know what I'm saying? The response of the people was this. Nada. It says this, that the people answered him not a word. Elijah's voice boomed down that hillside into that, into that olive grove, down that valley, into the Jezreel Valley. His voice boomed, and nobody could hear anything. You could hear a mouse squeak on the side of Mount Carmel after Elijah got speaking. Nobody wanted to say anything. Stone-cold silence over thousands of people. Silence. We're not sure if it was the fear of Elijah. We're not sure if it was the conviction of the Lord or if it was the fear of Ahab and Jezebel and those 450 clowns up on that hill. We're not sure what it was, but whatever it was, the people literally zipped the lip and stood there and said, oh my goodness. It's kind of like that when you get called into account, isn't it? Elijah sets the terms of the challenge. This is the terms of the showdown. One bull for each side, cut it into pieces, lay it on the altar, you know, that, we read the story, we read that part. Don't put any fire under it. The fire is going to come from God, not from you. Don't put any fire on it. And you go and do your thing, call on your gods, and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. I like the way he put that. He said, you call on your gods, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. <laughs> I like that. In other words, you can call on these guys all you want to. I'm going to call on the one true God. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. Elijah commands the mountainside and he says, you go first. You guys go do your thing. So verse 26, it says that they come to their altar. Now this is the, this is the bell altar. Now this, we're on a low budget here, so this is just all I could come up with in a short period of time, right? Um, this is the Baal altar. This, this would be Yahweh's altar. Jehovah's altar. Baal's altar is nice and clean cut edges. Polished marble stone. You can see it all cut and the lines are perfect. If you're ever looking at ancient texts or ancient pictures and things like that that people have drawn, you'll see that there's a distinct difference between pagan altars and the altars of God. And the distinct difference is, is that the altar of God is to be made with like natural stone. It specifically says this, no cut stones, no hewn stones is what I think King James says. No cut stones on my altar. When you set up my altars, I want it to be made with my stuff, not your stuff. I want it to be my creation because this what I'm talking about, the, the true religion that I'm talking about, didn't come out of your mind. It came out of my mind. This came out of my creation. Because so this altar, when you make a connection with me, is made out of my stuff. See what I'm talking about? But the pagan altar is cut stone. Because we did that now. And just like this altar is our creation, so is the religion that we worship at it. It's our creation. It's, it's man-made. Everything here is man-made. The ideology, the religion, it's all man-made. It's going to be proven out in just a moment. It's all man-made. It's all man-cut. It's all, if we walked up on this, we would say, that looks like a pile of rocks over there. Now, that's pretty nice. I've, I've seen some of these uh, recreations in museums and stuff over in the Middle East. 
it's, it's marvelous. Some of these things are absolutely marvelous. The marble, the carvings, and, and all the, 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 the fruit and prosperity idea, blessing and all that carved on all of them. Maybe the heads of the God or the face of the God or goddess is, is carved on. They're absolutely splendid works of art. But the problem is it's all man-made. I appreciate art like the next guy. But when art and religion collide, it, it becomes quite a problem for me sometimes. This is all man-made stuff, okay? So they, they get around their man-made altar with their man-made religion and all their man-made antics, and they begin to do their thing, and they, they begin to crawl out. Now think about that, 450 prophets of Baal. If I can on a hillside hear one man reading a story to me cascading down that hill, imagine what the roar of 450 sound like. I mean, you could hear it in Nazareth across the valley. I can I about guarantee you. A 450-person roar saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, send fire. See, they thought they had a shoe in with Baal because, see, Baal is known as the storm god. He's known as the god of the rain. He's known as the god who possesses the lightning bolt. Surely he could just send one right here today to prove his worth to his people and to capture the attention of this entire nation. Surely Baal could just send one. We, this is a shoe-in. We got home field advantage on this deal. Here we are at Mount Carmel. The sky is totally clear. Beautiful blue skies. We got some dry ground. One spark will light this whole thing. Baal, hear us! And they begin to dance. They did their dance. They begin to leap and dance. And, and I'm sure they had their minstrels and music playing. It was quite a show. Because when you don't have the power, you got to put on the show. You know what I'm saying? For three hours. I, I, you know, I, I can dance to a song that lasts three minutes. But give me three hours of dancing, this old boy can't take you. That's a lot. These boys must have been in some pretty good shape. I can tell you. For three hours, from 9 a.m., Till noon, these guys dance and leap around and scream at the top of their lungs trying to get Baal's attention. <laughs> Elijah is just sitting over here. He got his lawn chair he got from Dollar General. <laughs> I mean, he's on a low budget too. It's tough times. He's sitting back. He's watching this whole clown show going on. I mean, it's regalia city. I mean, they got pomp, circumstance, banners waving. They got all kinds of stuff going on, chanting. They, they, these are not just chants they're making up. They've been practicing that choir practice a long time. This is all systematic, well done. If you were there, you would say, man, them boys have been working hard. It would be impressive now. It'd be a parade like no other. It, it, it's their worship service going on on top of Mount Carmel. And it's for the soul of the nation. So, you know, they're putting everything they got into it. And Elijah looks over there, and he's leaning back. I see him with his camel hair and leather belt and all, sitting down. Can't see him. See him over there. He's just sitting, kicking back. Hey! Why don't y'all cry a little bit louder? I don't think he can hear you. Maybe, maybe Bell is meditating. That's what y'all say he does a lot. Maybe he's meditating. Talk a little louder. Maybe he's busy. Now, this one's funny. May, this is real funny now, not to be crude, but this is what the Hebrew literature said. English, because of all the properness of King James, they cleaned it all up. It literally says in the Hebrew, he may be in the bathroom. 
believing himself. Y'all need to get his knock on the door. This, this prophet of God's having a good time over here in one sense. It's tragic in another sense. Maybe he took a journey. Maybe he took a trip somewhere. Just keep going. He'll, he'll get back soon. Maybe he's asleep. <laughs> y'all got sleeps. I, yeah, y'all do talk about that a little bit in, in your writings. He, maybe he's asleep and y'all just need to be a little bit louder and wake him up. And their response to Elijah is, if you read the text in verse 28, it says, they got the more louder. They cried louder and louder and louder, almost in response to, oh man. <laughs> and they get louder and it's more of a frenzy that's going on. They leap and it says right here that they begin to cut themselves. Because the gods of this world always ask for your blood and the God of the world gave his own blood. There's a big difference here. They begin to cut themselves, hoping to provoke their God to respond. By this time, it goes to the evening sacrifice, which is about 3 p.m. They've been going at it for six hours. I mean, this is a bell marathon. It is, it's a, that's a long time. Imagine if I preached to you for six hours. You're like, oh, Lord, I thought you was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that's what Sandy said. That's a long worship service, right? I mean, that's a real long time. I mean, it started at 9 a.m. And, and man, I didn't even pack enough sandwiches for the kids down at the bottom of the hill. I don't even know it's going long. I thought this was going to be over with quick. But six hours, it goes on. And it says in verse 29 that the results of all of this, leaping and dancing and cutting and bleeding and chanting and singing and hollering and screaming and all the results of all of this was this. It says three, three little phrases. There was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Say it with me. No voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Why? Because Baal's deaf and he's dumb. He can't hear and he can't speak. And Jeremiah would come and say, if you serve those deaf and dumb idols, it will make you deaf and dumb too. It's kind of a play on words. Baal's not there. Now the demons that are behind Baal, I believe God's just made them shut up. But Baal himself is a creation of their own imagination. No voice, no word from heaven. No fire, no lightning bolt from the storm god. Elijah said, that's enough. Let me do my thing now. And he calls to Israel as he stands on the edge of that hillside and he says, come near to me. In other words, give me your undivided attention. I know you've been put to sleep by all of this. Listen, wake up. Come near and listen. And then it says this about Elijah. That he began to repair the altar that was there. Now you think about that. Now this is going to be our altar to Yahweh. Now this is just kind of the dirt mound. Can you use your imagination with me a little bit? This is, this is our dirt hill. He, he takes a little bit of time to excavate it and get it, get it spread out like he needs it to put that sacrifice on. He gets it all situated there. 
It says that that altar was there, but it was something wrong with it. What was wrong with it? It broke down. How, how did it get broke down? Well, maybe through neglect. Nobody's used it in a long time, maybe. Or maybe vandalism, because we know people that worship other gods and act crazy. They like to tear stuff up. You know what I'm talking about? We've been seeing a lot of that. Probably vandalism. They, they torn it down. Now, what, what kind of altar was this? It's significant because Mount Carmel's been there a long time. It's gone through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And very possibly, this, this altar was built by one of those patriarchs. And it says that Elijah began to repair that broken down altar. There's a whole lot right there, isn't there? He began to repair that broken down, that neglected, vandalized, disrespected place. That was holy in God's eyes and should be holy in his people's eyes. He began to repair it. And it says that he got 12 stones. 12 stones. Somebody tell me why he got 12 stones. The 12 tribes. Now what's been happening to the 12 tribes? What, 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 what's happened to them over the course of a few years? What's happened to them? They're divided, aren't they? But not in God's mind. They're still all his people. The ones in the south and the ones in the north. Remember? He begins to... Lay out these stones and get them ready. This one's for you, Asher. May God bless you and keep you. This one's for you, Gad. Levi. It's time for you to return back to God and all your priesthood. See what he's doing? He's interceding and he's praying for all of Israel by situating these stones in place. He begins to put them back. One by one, Issachar, Dan. One by one, he repairs what was broken. That was heavy. But it's heavy to build an altar now. You want to build something that's going to last, going to hold. We've got those sacrifice up here. He repairs the altar of God. Now, what is an altar? What, what is an altar? You see, in fact, Abraham is known in the Bible as the man who builds altars because everywhere Abraham goes, he builds an altar. What, what is an altar? It's, it's a place of what? It's a place of, of worship, isn't it? It's a place of sacrifice. It, it's, a, it's a place of covenant. It's a place where people make covenants with God. It's a place of thanksgiving where people give thanksgiving offerings to God. And it's a place, I, I like to just think it like this in, in my mind. It's a place where people in whatever fashion they need to, they make connection with the God of heaven. That's what an altar is. So what is it telling us by this altar being broken down? Their connection with God has been interrupted. It's been broken. Let's talk about repairing altars for a minute for us. We've got to rebuild the altars in our lives. Now, we don't make our altars of stone anymore. That, that's, that's an ancient practice, and thank God for those 
forefathers who have done this and, and left us a blessing and a foundation to build off of. We don't build altars out of stone, but, but everybody needs a place or places where they connect and meet with God. It might be right there on your sofa in your living room. It might be in your recliner. It might be on your back porch. It might be out back by a stump somewhere. It might be on a trail that's off in the woods. Everybody needs, it might be your vehicle. I, I like that one a lot. I spend a lot of time in my car. I like, especially around here, you, anywhere you go is, is out, right? <laughs> Somebody said, never mind, we'll go. We need those places of connection with God. You know, Jesus had them. Think about it. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was for Jesus. That was a place of connection, a place where he could go and pray and connect with God. You see Jesus going up on mountainsides all the time. Well, that's, that was a place where he built an altar of connection between him and God. Now, I come from, from old school to where there was actually a such thing in homes as a family altar. To where dad or mom would open up the Bible and the family would pray together. Would, would to God that we'd build that back because it, it's not so much that what goes on in the White House is going to matter. It's going to matter what goes on in your house and in my house. And we rebuild the family altar. What about the marriage altar? We rebuild that to where we can pray together as husband and wife and we can connect with God together. And as we connect with God together, we connect with each other deeper. It's an amazing miracle that happens. What about wherever you are, at any time you need to, make that place an altar. We've got to rebuild them. We're fussing about prayer in schools, rightfully so. But until we get it back in our homes, it won't get back into school. You understand? We're worried about what's gonna happen in the election and that's justified. But how about you build your altar and make a better connection with God? That's important. Revival will not happen in this nation, in this community, in your heart, unless the altar is repaired. Elijah gets the altar prepared and rebuilt. He blesses it. He digs a trench around it, a big trench. He put the wood on the altar, stacked it up real nice. He cuts the bull up. Lays it on the altar. And then not to be undone. There's not going to be any dancing here, boys. He says, I want you to go get four water pots. And I want you to take those water pots and I want you to pour it on the sacrifice and the wood and let it cascade off the altar into that trench. They, they pour the four water pots, big water pots. He says, go do it again. I always wonder where they got water at. <laughs> Maybe God filled that well that was on Mount Carmel just for this event. I don't know. He got water, did it a second time. He said, go do it one more time. What was he doing? What was he doing? Well, these guys over here are known for their trickery. They're known for these little sleight of hand tricks to where they create the fire when you got distracted by the dancing. Boom, the fire, boom, the bell. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, we know those guys, don't we? They're on TV all the time. <laughs> he said, I want everybody to know this is for real and this fire ain't going to come from here. It's going to come from there. 
So he pours all the water on top of it and says, this, this thing's saturated. There's no way that a spark from my hand could do anything. He's just, he's just uh, alleviating all doubt among the people. What's this sacrifice about? Israel's been in gross, gross sin. Israel's been in deadly sin. What's this sacrifice about? This sacrifice is about the man of God standing between God and the people and atoning for their sins and asking God to forgive this entire one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. This entire nation. You see what I'm talking about? Forgive this entire nation of their sins, God. Give them a fresh start. I beg of you. It's a picture of our intercessor. Then Elijah does this. Pull up that prayer. It says, Elijah prays. Everybody say it with me. Elijah prays. That, that, that phrase marks his life. He's already prayed and it's not going to rain. He's prayed for the widow's son back from the dead. Here, Elijah on this mountain, he prays. Now see the contrast of this simple prayer versus all of this, this antics and action. You see what I'm talking about? This is a very simple prayer. Very distinct picture here. It's drawn about Yahweh worship and how to worship God correctly. Jesus speaks to that too. He says, it's not about all this stuff and how deep you say it and how much you say and all the words and all the pomp and circumstance. It's about the sincerity of your heart and faith in God. That's what it's about. He prays. This is what he prays. Elijah the prophet came near and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that's the covenant name. He's reestablishing the covenant. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Boom! Lightning bolt comes from heaven. Just like it did at the tabernacle, just like it did at the temple, and just like it will do in the future on the day of Pentecost, lightning, fire came down from heaven. This fireball from heaven just, boom! Hits this sacrifice, consumes all of the bull that's on there. It consumes the rocks, all the water. It says all the dust. It licked it up like a, a fiery tornado. Licked it all up. Boom! Gone. What do you think all these thousands of people at the bottom of that mountain? The last time we heard from them, what were they doing? Silent. When they saw this display of God's power and might. Because see, the, the contest was the God who answers by fire. He's God. Now listen to what they say. They saw it. It says they fell on their faces and they cried out. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And just for that moment in time, their hearts turned back to God. Now listen to me. This is really neat. You, you won't see this in, in, in the English, but we, we have studied it. How do you say the Lord, He is God in Hebrew? Elijah! Because his very name was the message, wasn't it? 
The Lord, he is God. So really and truly what they're saying, or a derivative of it, they're, they're, they're saying at the bottom of that mountain, they're saying, Elijah! 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 We ain't with y'all no more. Elijah! I'm serious, that's what they were saying now. And would to God that people could call our name and get closer to God like they called Elijah's name and draw closer to God. See, I don't have a problem. With, I don't want them chanting Ron, but I don't have a problem chanting Elijah because, see, Elijah was a man that would turn their hearts back to the Lord their God. Now, Elijah says, seize them, arrest all of them. So 450 men are gathered up together. They're taken to the bottom of the hill down by the riverside and executed one by one. That's a tough day, isn't it? for them that may seem a little harsh but what Elijah is establishing well if the Lord is our God then his law should be on our lips and the punishment for all of this in Israel is, according to God's law is death so that's what I'm saying he was establishing God's presence and God's law all in this one motion now this is where I want to I want to end you right here, in, in, in with you. I don't want to end you. I want to end with you right here. <laughs> Somebody said, I've been done a long time. Elijah here, and all these stories, they point us to Jesus. They point us to Jesus. So what I want to do is I, I, want, I want to go to another hillside, another mountainside. And it's called the place of the skull. It's called Golgotha. And there's an altar there. It doesn't look like this altar, or it doesn't look like this altar. There's an altar there, and it looks like this. It's an altar. And there's a sacrifice nailed to it. Jesus of Nazareth is there. He's fastened to this altar. He's suspended between heaven and earth as if he's trying to bring the two together. Elijah prayed at this altar. Jesus is praying at this altar. We have some of his prayer quoted. He's praying. And one of the last things he prays is, Father, forgive the ones that are doing this. Forgive my enemies. That's, that's amazing that you're forgiving while they're killing you. He's praying. After the struggle, the scripture says that the skies were black. The storm was coming. It was a storm of God's wrath. And in a moment in time, fire came down. The judgment fire of God came down and hit this sacrifice. And the life of Jesus of Nazareth was consumed in that moment. And there Jesus becomes the sacrifice for sinful and idolatrous people. And there Jesus pays the price on this altar. You ever consider this an altar? It's an altar. He pays the price for your sins and for my sins. And from the testimony of this cross, and from the testimony of 
of his resurrection. You know what we are to cry? Jesus, he is God. Jesus, he is God. That's what all this altar is about. This altar was about them seeing Yahweh was God. This one's about us knowing that Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord God Almighty. And beloved, I want to tell you, I want to ask you the same question, kind of. How long will you waver between this and another idea? How long are you going to straddle the fence and do your thing and do a little bit of Jesus thing? It doesn't work that way. I've had to be confronted with that in my own life several times. As the drift happens, if you don't intentionally stop it. How long will you waver? It's time to decide and know that Jesus is God. Amen. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this marvelous Elijah story. It's fabulous. Spectacular. But it's meant to point us to your story, Lord. It's meant to point us to the story that will never end. The story of how we can be redeemed. And how we can have eternal life. And Jesus, I proclaim from my lips that you are God. And you're not only God, but you're my God. I proclaim that over our church family, that you're not only God, but you are our God here at Mosley Bridge. We're still growing in our understanding of who you are. We're still growing in our revelation of how to follow you and what to do and do your will. We thank you for your patience as we work and walk all this out. But the battle's raging and it's not time to waver anymore. We drop our stake. We make our claim that you are our God. 